You're listening to episode 48 of The Comics Pals. We're a group of comic book journalists and friends who record a podcast together because we don't talk enough about comics in our daily lives. I want you all to stop what you're doing and try to imagine what the Punisher Skull person looked like when they were alive. <laughs> <laughs> like an alien. <laughs> oh, dear God. That's unsettling. That's pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> Never thought about that. That's what Phil brings to the show, guys. Deep thoughts. Deep thinking. <laughs> he asks the real questions. Exactly. Provocative. Yes. Uh, and that's what we're known for being here on the Comics Pals. We're nothing short of provocative. Uh, we talk about all the things that a lot of other people shy away from. I don't even know. Like Phil. Like Phil. <laughs> we're the only show to have its own Phil. That's true. Since we are being so provocative, I'm pretty sure the government is trying to cover up all the missing Punisher skulls out there. There's a whole race of Punishers out there, I think, that were once alive. Uh, actually, I, all gone. I, I do want to say um, that it's been a pleasure to do this show with you guys. Um, it's been real. Are you dying? Uh, we all are, actually. Uh, today is actually september 23rd 2017 uh which is the last day of life on earth um i don't know if you guys have heard about this but planet nibiru is actually crashing into the earth today uh so uh be with your loved ones today and uh it's been nice the comics pals has been so really mean, nice but then but so then, you mean the show's not even gonna post yeah well no absolutely not i mean we're just we're just doing this uh, so <laughs> Aliens in the future will definitely hear this. Like, this will be the first thing that they hear. And they will know what humans were like through our podcast. Wow, we better do a good show then. That's the plan. <laughs> zip, zip, zip. Well, was Marco? <laughs> <laughs> uh, so we've got a big show planned for you guys today. We're going to be talking about DC Comics and Doomsday Clock a little later on. And we're going to talk about whether or not Doomsday Clock is going to make or break DC Comics' recent success. But before we get to all that stuff, we've got a lot of other things to get through, including telling you guys where you can listen to the show. Uh, So we are on iTunes. We are a five-star rated podcast on iTunes. Uh, We are very, very proud of that. And we'd like to continue that tradition. So reach on over to iTunes and drop us that five-star rating. We're also on SoundCloud, where a lot of you guys do listen to us, and we appreciate that very much. Uh, So you can leave us a like wherever it is that you listen to this show, whatever podcast hosting platform you choose. Uh, We are also all over social media, at The Comics Pals, so you can reach out to us on there. We accept all sorts of things. We accept tweets. We accept donations. We accept... um, Money, uh, money, cash, <laughs> uh, video games, comics. I like love. I like Jean Grey statues love. personally. I actually don't <laughs> have one, so if you want to send one of those my way, that'd be sweet. Um, we are also on YouTube, where you can leave us a like if you're watching this on YouTube, a comment about anything we talk about in this or any other episode. You can subscribe to our channel, which helps us out a lot, and be sure to share the show with your friends. Last but not least, if you want to write to us, you can write to us at the Comics Pals at Gmail. Dot com. Uh, so, I've got a really interesting buy or sell for you guys. So, since we are talking about uh, DC and Watchmen's worlds colliding a little later on, uh, and everyone seems to think that that's a bad idea, the buy or sell this week is 
which story idea would you prefer to see? So you choose one or the other that never exists. Won't happen. The combination of DC and Watchmen or Marvel and Star Wars. So when I say Marvel and Star Wars, I mean their worlds colliding, not just Marvel publishing those comics. No, I'd rather Watchmen and DC. Don't touch my Star Wars. <laughs> Get your grimy yeah. hands off my Star Wars. Yeah, no, I, I have to agree. Um, yeah, I just that's not a crossover I want to see at all. And as much as I don't want to see DC X Watchmen, like we're going to talk about it a little bit later. But every time I hear Jeff Johns talk about it, I feel a little bit more comfortable with it. <laughs> so like it's I don't know. It should be okay. I definitely like a Marvel uh, Star Wars crossover is just like unless it's in the context of a Kingdom Hearts game. That's a nightmare to me. <laughs> That could be really fun uh, in Kingdom Hearts. Um, yeah, like those, that's, sign me up. Put those both of those on the table. But otherwise, no, please. Please, God, no. Okay, Phil? Oh, man, you make it sound like it's a challenging uh, comparison, but it's like good X good or bad X bad. And for me, I want good X good. So DC and Watchmen. You're a piece of trash. Did you just did you just sit here and say that both Marvel and Star Wars are bad? At this point, they are. Oh, uh, I can't Phil. even address that, Phil. The most contrarian. <laughs> I mean, Star Wars used to be good, and so was Marvel. That was a once upon a time ago. <laughs> Thank you, Disney. I just once upon a time. I just like honestly, I'm desensitized to it at this point. You know, so what we, DC and Watchmen. <laughs> seems like there's a lot of potential there and we'll talk about it later but I am quite excited Uh, a lot of people have been talking about the potential of a Marvel Star Wars crossover this week and uh, it's really weird to me just because I don't see the through line I don't see the connective tissue other than Mm -hmm. Disney I I see some go on Okay, picture this. Anakin Skywalker, episode two, has to fight the Sandman, his greatest nemesis, because he hates sand. Because it's coarse and rough. <laughs> and it gets everywhere. And it gets everywhere. <laughs> that was good, Phil. That was solid. Does the lightsaber cut through adamantium? Almost That's certainly. That's the question. Now Marco. we have to find is- out. No, oh my God. Uh, all right. Well, then I'm going to buy on that then. You know, no, I changed my mind. Let's out. do it. Let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> I I am buying on an amalgam akin to the DC Marvel stuff. I'm buying on an amalgam Marvel Star Wars crossover. I now am invested in the idea of seeing Marvel characters try to fend off Jedi and Sith. Um, let's get into some pals pulls. Uh, so these are the books that are coming out this week. You're listening to this on a Monday or Tuesday or Wednesday. These are the books that are dropping that week. Um, so these are the things that we're interested in and hopefully you guys will also be interested in and you can share yours with us by reaching out to us in all the aforementioned ways that the comics pals are accessible. Don't call my phone. Uh, so from Marco, <laughs> we've got... We've got uh, just text me. <laughs> uh yeah, that's acceptable. But uh, respect the fact that I may not respond to you. Um, so from Marco, we've got Grave Trancers number one. Uh, what's that? Uh, it's a book being published by Black Mask. 
uh, ever since I started reading the Space Riders books, Black Mask, um, also by Bla- Black Mask, I've kind of been trying to support that, uh, I guess, that publisher. They're, they're really good. They're putting out some really interesting stuff. And uh, I really like the art on this one. It looks really horror focused. So I'm I'm looking forward to picking this up. Cool. Uh, from Phil, we've got Absolute Justice League hardcover. Now I have a question for you: Is this an omnibus? No, not quite. Um, sometimes DC just does Absolute editions of specific stories. Um, for instance, they did Batman Year One, which is uh, oh boy, is that like eight issues or something? Six issues. It's not long. Four issues, maybe. I think it's a four issue maxi. But regardless, uh, this is just volume one um, the, the, of the of the trades. The first, I guess, six issues. This is the origin one. Yeah. Um, and they've been using that as a ten pole for their Justice League expanded media stuff lately. Like uh, they made an animated movie off of it. Presumably making a live action movie loosely based around it. Um, and they're making an absolute edition of it. And um, while I'm not crazy about the story, I do like Jim Lee's art quite a bit. That's a reason enough to buy it. So when you buy an absolute edition, what justifies the purchase price? Okay, so it's printed on archival pa- uh, paper. It's on um, um, larger. Uh, I forget the dimensions, but it's much larger, so the illustrations are much more magnified. It really benefits a really talented artist. Uh, like, I have Final Crisis, uh, All-Star Superman, and Green Lantern, Green Arrow, Hard Traveling Heroes in Absolute Edition form. And that's, uh, let's see, that's um, Frank Whiteley and Neil Adams, at least in two of them. Um, and J.G. Jones, all in larger archival paper quality art, which is exceptional because those are three really, really good artists. Uh, here you have Jim Lee, who's one of the best in the industry. Um, and then usually in the back of the Absolute Editions, there's a lot of uh, scripts, uh, art, um, and writer's notes. There's a lot of extra context. It's really just like, if you really love a story, an Absolute Edition's like the... Uh, best way to own it for a specific story. Cool. Uh, might pick that up. Uh, so from Pete, we've got Saga number 47 and Rat Queen special Orc Dave number one. Um, you know, I, I, these are books I've talked about time and time again on this show, so um, I don't want to say too much about them, but you know, like, they're both great image books. Um, they've been going for a while. If you haven't checked them out, I highly recommend them. Well, I have a question for you. So, I know that you have felt you've had mixed feelings about rat queens since the controversy surrounding yeah not the quality of the story but yeah about how to feel about enjoying it (laughs) so is this something that you will actually pick up yeah i I, you know because i talked about this when the book came back uh back in i want to say it was march i think um, and I, I think I threw it out to the audience as like, I asked like, who's reading this and should I pick it up again? You know, and, um, <clears throat> friend of the show, Matt Murphy, uh, wrote in and said that it was really good and I still haven't gone back to it, but I mean, like I saw this and it's like, I really like Orc Dave. So it's like, I don't know. I feel like it's time for me to give it another shot and see how I feel about it. It's like the guy who I hate isn't working on the book. 
So as much as I'm like upset about what happened with Tess, like she herself said that she doesn't want people to not read the book. So I'm going to give it another shot. And, you know, if I'm enjoying it, I'm going to enjoy it. That's fair. I miss reading it. You know, it's like it was my second favorite comic to read every month up until it stopped being printed. And then all this happened. (laughs) So, yeah, I think it's time. It's very understandable. I hope it's good. Yeah, I uh, maybe I'll report on it next week. <laughs> yeah. And then uh, from me, it's to me this week, it's all about Marvel Legacy number one. This is the granddaddy of them all. This is what's going to start the next phase of Marvel Comics. Uh, can't wait. Um, we're getting a big, big return in this book, a massive return. Uh, there's a lot of speculation about who they could be. Uh, we've talked about this on the show before. I personally think it's Reed Richards. We shall see. Um, but this is Jason Aaron. This is a bunch of different phenomenal artists at Marvel. Uh, this is this book is in a lot of really good hands, and I think that uh, it's going to be worth the read. So I am very much looking forward to it. All right, so let's do some news. Uh, because right now we're about to talk about, to me, the coolest thing that I've seen all week, <clears throat> which is the Punisher trailer. Uh, it did drop. Finally, we got it. There's been a lot of teasing. Uh, Netflix has been very coy about when we get a trailer, when the show is dropping. They're still very coy about that. Um, but we finally got the trailer. What do you guys think? Frank Castle can't play guitar. <laughs> oh, God. Bad form. <laughs> Jesus oh, Christ. Oh, the trailer was good. The, man, the man's just trying to express his pain through music, Marco. He doesn't need your judgment. Well. He's a veteran. <laughs> no, the trailer was dope. It was really cool. Oh, uh, you heard it here first, folks. Marco does not like the veterans. <laughs> it's time for his heel turn. <laughs> Marco's been a heel for the duration of the show. I don't care if he's been earlier or not. He's still a heel. Passed by Wakanda too, like all over this. <laughs> oh, you sold Wakandian from Wakanda? Yep. Jesus, you're a true heel now. <laughs> anyway, um, no, I, I, I like the trailer. I mean, like, I, I've i said on the show in the past, I'm not the biggest Punisher fan, but um, I definitely liked uh, John Bernthal's portrayal of him in, uh, in season two, and it's very much informed by some of the Punisher stuff that um, I do enjoy. So I definitely, uh, I'm interested to see if he can carry a whole season. Of it, and I'll if I'll be um, as into it as I was for the portions of season two of Daredevil that were focused on him. But um, you know, I'm I'm definitely looking forward to it. You know, I, I've liked all the Netflix shows that have come out at least to some degree, so I'm sure there'll be something for me here. I wonder at what point we're gonna be desensitized to the violence that, like, like at what point it's gonna be like, oh, cool, like he's shooting people and they're dying and bleeding, and then. Like towards the end, we'd be like, "All right, he yeah, he's shooting people. Like we get it." I wonder if they're, we're gonna get into like that kind of a fatigue. That's the only thing I'm worried about um, regarding uh, like if he can if he can handle like a whole season. Yeah, like if you'll be able to carry a whole season with him and like still be interested in that action, or like yeah, if you'll like be able to really relate to someone who is just like kind of a cold blooded killer. Um, but we'll see. I mean, they did a pretty good job of, of that in the first season, I think. Or not the first season, but you know what I'm saying. The first appearance yeah, of yeah, him. Yeah. So, 
don't know. I, I feel like there's reason to be confident here. One batch, two batch, penny and dime. Listen here, Pete. I'm going to kill all the slime. <laughs> what are we playing, Dragon Quest? <laughs> <laughs> so, to answer the question that Marco posed, I think you can look to uh, Logan for an answer. So, even though it's a great Logan point. is... You know, Logan's not as long as the Punisher series will be. Uh, the violence in Logan never got to the point where you were desensitized to it because it all mattered. Uh, mm-hmm. It was all tied to something personal and relevant, and you felt every blow that Logan dealt, dished and dealt and felt um, because it was all important. So I think if they keep their heads about them with this show and they don't get into the territory of violence for the sake of violence, then that will still hold true. And if Daredevil Season 2 is any indication, that's not something to... That's not something that we will have a problem with. But of course, who knows what the quality of this will be. I thought the trailer was excellent. I liked the choice of music. Um, I liked the way they arranged the music in correlation with all the different sounds of the gun shots and the clicking yeah. and all that. Yeah, it was um, very stylish. Yeah. And mm-hmm. and even though that even though it was very stylish, not far behind that was you know, the emotion that you're supposed to feel when talking about the Punisher. The shot of his wife and him talking and then someone comes up behind her and shoots her in the head. Like that's all very what I want to see from this show. I want to die. You want to see people get shot in the head? No. Uh, yes, but for reasons, you know, I want to see the emotional resonance of those murders, and that's what the show seems poised to deliver for me. Uh, one thing I will say is that I didn't get the vibe of low quality or bad dialogue that I got from the trailers for Defenders and Iron Fist, and to a lesser extent, Luke Cage. So that's a good sign for me. Though it is a little soon. There isn't a ton of dialogue in the Punisher trailer. Very true. That is a fair Yeah, point. it's mostly like well-positioned moments with a good soundtrack. Metallica. Dude, it's like I'm not a Metallica guy, but that's like the one Metallica song I do like really get down to. And it like is so appropriate for Frank Castle's like emotional state. Uh, we don't know when exactly it's coming. Netflix still refuses to tell us. Uh <laughs> Isn't it November, I thought? Well, that's the, the rumor. The, the general consensus is that it's November. They released Jessica Jones in November. Um, it, it just seems to make sense with how they've put these shows out. But, you know, we don't necessarily know. One patch, two patch, any time. I like Metallica just fine. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty good. All right. So we talked about some low quality shows from Netflix of late. Uh, And uh, it looks like fans are starting to turn on what Netflix is putting out, at least as it relates to their Marvel properties that aren't so good because Daredevil, or I'm sorry, not Daredevil, Defenders is Marvel Netflix's least watched series to date. Uh, This is an article coming from CBR and they say, or Variety reports that uh, the show uh, was the least watched show that they've put out and received 17% of the viewership that Daredevil Season 2 opened to Damn. in its first 30 days. That's rough. Wow. 
Uh, it also has the largest week over week drop off in terms of views. Um, declining by 67, 48, and 41% over the first few weeks. Now, of course, yeah, Netflix doesn't report this type of stuff. They don't tell us. Uh, so people who are interested, industry insiders who are interested, have figured out clever ways to try to determine the viewing habits of audiences and what they are watching, and this is what they've come up with. Uh, these reports have been accurate in the past, so uh, this seems like it could be reliable, but of course you always have to be aware that this isn't Netflix saying this. Not that they would even want to. Uh, what do you guys think this means? Um, I mean, I'm not terribly surprised by that. I think when you look at the situation around Defenders and then what the ultimate quality of Defenders ended up being, that I kind of get that. You know, it's like that that show came right off of the most the only like you know truly panned show of the the shows that preceded it right so like iron fist was already like everyone was like oh look ne- oh it's marvel's first failure like so i think people were ready for they were ready to be down on defenders and then people complained that the first episode was slow um or that the first like two episodes are slow or whatever so the fact that there was Iron Fist preceding it. There was negative critical buzz around it, or at least lukewarm critical buzz around it. And then people saying that they thought that the first, you know, one, two, three episodes were slow. I'm not surprised that there was a, a significant drop off because people were probably like, oh, it probably sucks like Iron Fist. Forget it. You know? And especially yeah, when and you. Th- oh, go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, no. Finish your point. I was going to say, especially when you think of the fact that not everybody has watched all of these series. Um,. I, I'm not surprised that they didn't necessarily stick it out for the team up. Yeah, and I think also it's like on top of that too is Netflix just started out strong with Daredevil and like and Jessica Jones and like properties that uh, like really hit it with uh, with viewers. And so to some, like for some people, the the quality sort of declined until like people were were already losing interest. Um, and so those people who like sort of were, were sticking. We're sticking on. We're sort of burned. I think with uh, by the stuff that Pete just mentioned. Yeah, I mean, if you look so I think at it was like, oh no, go ahead, go. Ahead, I'm sorry. Yeah, no, I'm not finished. I was gonna say, if you look at our own ranking, it's in reverse chronological order. You know, like when we did our first official ranking, Daredevil season one was number one, and Defenders was the last. So, if if that reflects the general audience's opinions of these shows, then yeah, I mean, that's kind of like the natural conclusion of this, right? Phil? I think this is indicative of the fact that in 2017, audience perception really matters um, for media. Um, You see it with the Warner Brothers films. When they are not well-received, they do poorly. Um, A lot of people were not excited about Wonder Woman, but word of mouth... I think had a lot to do with the fact that people became enthusiastic to see it and uh, it did exceedingly well. Um, Iron Fist and Defenders both had really bad reputations. In in today's culture, there's just a lot to grab people. There's video games, there's comics, there's TV shows, there's music. Excuse me. Um, And if something isn't good or is not generally 
perceived as good by the wider cultural zeitgeist, why are people going to, you know, affiliate with it? And in the case of Defenders, why is anyone going to watch Defenders if people are saying Defenders isn't good, especially after Iron Fist, which people didn't watch either, by and large? Yeah, and I honestly think that, like, to some degree, it's even more than, like, good, it's great. Right. Like, why would you watch something that isn't great or why would you interact with something that isn't great if you are someone who's like, you know, um, people like us who are like, you know, media savvy, who like try to have the check out the best of everything. You know, it's like, why are you going to make eight hours of time for something that people say is like kind of OK? Yeah, I think I think uh, like we're the kinds of people who would do that. Right. Well, like, we, we would because we have a podcast. Yeah. And then most other people. Most other people are going to say, you know, no, like I'm not, I'm not interested. Netflix is full of things that are more worth your time. Uh, yeah. Than Defenders. And, and realistically, a lot of people like that in that position will listen to someone like us who says, you know, oh yeah, it was okay. And they'll be like, okay, it's not worth my time. Yes. And that is, that is where. Uh, the criticism of of websites like Rotten Tomatoes comes in, and I think that that criticism is totally ridiculous because that's that's kind of obscuring the real problem, which is that people now just are smarter than they've ever been in terms of knowing what's worth their time and what isn't. Um, and it's like I don't even know that it's smarter. I think there's just more options. To Phil's point, you have so many options of how you could spend your time. So like, you know, it's it's. It's easier than ever to sniff out what's not worth it. Well, I, I, I think it's I think it's both because nowadays you watch a you watch a trailer and you know this is not good. This doesn't look good, and people can people know what works and what doesn't. Even if they can't articulate to you why they want to see something, they can tell for themselves why or why they don't want to watch something. They know when something looks bad and they avoid it and. That's the real issue. So when it comes to Netflix or when it comes to anyone who complains about, I mean, not not that Netflix is complaining about Rotten Tomatoes, but when it comes to anyone who complains about Rotten Tomatoes, do your job and make something good and people will go watch it. And that's, that's it. So <clears throat> just remember, listeners, if you see a trailer or a pilot of something that's bad, whether it's something like Inhumans or Defenders or what have you, you could be using that 40, 45 minutes to be listening to the Comics Pals instead. You're going to need a lot more than 45 minutes to listen to this puppy. <laughs> um, but you could be using that time to listen to us instead. Or you could be using that time to jump over to our YouTube channel and check out some of our brand new content plugs. <laughs> <laughs> or you could just consume no other media and live in the realm of the, the comics pals 24 seven. I mean, Hey, we're getting to the point where we put out enough stuff that you could do that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so let's talk about Thor three. Let's talk about Thor Ragnarok. Let's not talk about the actual movie though. Let's talk about <laughs> a sweet trailer, a fantastic trailer that the, the great people at Nerdist put together. Uh, so Thor Ragnarok has a lot of, kind of 80s retro stuff in it. It kind of has that vibe. Um, but what if Thor Ragnarok was actually made in the 80s? This trailer basically gives us a look at what that would be. Uh, and it's fantastic. 
Um, what do you guys think about this? Were you laughing as much as me? Oh, yeah. yeah. I got yeah, a good kick out of it. It's better than the actual trailer, frankly. <laughs> in what sense? Like, instead of being... Okay, so instead of being this, like, catering to, like, nostalgia, this, this like, pandering, if you will, where it's like, remember the 80s? Do you like Guardians of the Galaxy? You're gonna love Thor Ragnarok! Led Zeppelin music! Instead, it's, like, tongue-in-cheek, actual 80s-style trailer, and it's done really well, and it actually presents, like, the narrative and storytelling of the movie. Um, and it's like, shit, this is how trailers used to be made. They used to be made well. It's oh good. God. It's good shit. <laughs> I think if you played this trailer, like, if this were the trailer for the movie, it would do more harm than good. I think... If it were the actual trailer in the movie, I think it would go over well with older audiences. They'd be like, this is funny and quaint. But with younger audiences, they probably wouldn't like it. I think they. I think it would, it would resonate in a sense of like l- looking back to like a previous generation. Because obviously we, you can sort of tell that it, it's trying to sort of be, be that um, – be that older kind of trailer. And so we might appreciate that. Like I appreciate it because it tried to do that. Like when, uh, or movies that, that sort of do that, that are in that style because it is stylized. Um, like Kung Fury is one of those, like it, it you know, it's, it, we we're receptive to it because it is of a, I guess like now, like a bygone age, you know, it's like, a, what, like almost 40 years ago. So, yeah, I think I think it specifically speaks to people our age because we're young enough to have been like we touched up against that culture, that time in history, you know, because of when we were born. Like I remember having VHSs and stuff that had trailers like that, you know? So like I get the joke. I'm in on it even though it's not like it's nostalgic for me in a different way than it would be for people who are like 5 or 10 years older than than me, you know? Um but like for kids that are, you know, in high school now that have been watching the Marvel movies since they were, you know, like little kids, um, I don't know that it's going to necessarily do anything for them. I think they'll know what it is, though. And, Maybe. and that's like that's what um, is where I'm basing my, my opinion from. Is like they'll, I think they'll, they'll know what it is and they're able to recognize it. But that that's different than saying it would resonate with them. And I think. The reason why this works for us is because it resonates, whereas for younger people, they can they can understand it, but it doesn't have any emotional weight to it. And so it come it could it could not necessarily saying it does uh, come across as cheesy. Um, and that's why this obviously isn't a good way to sell a movie. Um, and, and I think I think for a lot of the people, they would like there'd be like vi- their visual gags and stuff that they wouldn't understand. Like, I think they would look at like the thing that's like, you know, it was the distortion of the video to make it look like a VHS. Like, they're not going to know what that is, you know, and and I think assuming that they would shows that we're out of touch with young people, you know, um, because like. I've had conversations with like, you know, one of my friend's younger sisters who's like 19 now. Right. And when I asked her, I was like, you know, the little the little icon that they have next to the save button. Do you know what that is? And she had no idea what a floppy disk was. And she's not that much younger than than us. You know, it's like we're talking about five or six years and it's like, OK, like <laughs> that's a lot of time to be like distanced from some of the, the nuance of of what makes this gag work, you know? Absolutely. Also, I don't know. 
I mean, they're like I didn't grow up with a tracks. You know, I I never had a reason to be exposed to them, but I was aware of what an a track was. You know what I mean? Um, this is like awareness of the past. But I think it's because of your proximity to that past. You know. Cause like yeah like uh, there are always gonna be some like I'm sure there are some young kids that know what floppy disks are or that's like what I mean. that's what I mean yeah, yeah like of course there will always be like little hipsters like that but I'm talking about like the average person you know um, who isn't you know who is like we were born five years or three years or four years depending on which one of us you're talking about removed from the 80s not 10 years removed from it which is a big difference. There's also. You know, at least I, I feel this way, and it, it could be very much um, due to the fact that I'm just living in it, but it feels like things are moving at such an accelerated rate that the difference between when we were kids and where kids are at now is crazy just because of how much new stuff is always coming out. And that's how, and in my mind, stuff that's older gets older faster just because of how much stuff eclipses it um, at a rampant yeah. rate. I think you're totally right. You know, I think like when we were younger, I was exposed to a lot of media from the 80s because I was born in the early 90s and it was like still around and it was like more cartoons were in syndication for longer or like, you know, you would get like I had tons of 80s movies on VHS and stuff like that that were made like, you know, years and years before I was born, but were still things that were like semi relevant to kids my age, you know, Um, and I don't know that it's like that as much anymore and like maybe we just don't know because we don't have kids um and we don't know kids but like i feel like when you look at how much stuff that has that was available to us as kids and all the shit that's been compounded on top of that like i know that there are still kids that watch cartoons that were on when we were kids because they're on hulu and shit like that you know and you see moms and dads talking about that stuff online you make a good point we are not in touch with kids, so we should talk to someone who is in touch with kids. Mr. Old Man Stan, what do kids like these days? You know, uh, Phil, I'm glad you asked that question. And I think I think the one thing that I know that kids will always like is superheroes. Thank you, Stan. I'll see you guys next week. <laughs> Bye, Stan. <laughs> Thanks for stopping by. So, uh... We're, we've we've all seen it. It's a really it's a really fun trailer. You guys should definitely check it out for yourselves, uh, and and judge for yourselves. Uh, the reason why we're talking about it is just because it's a it's kind of a, just a fun, nice thing that the Nerdist Boys did, and um, you know just and girls, boys and girls, absolutely, children uh, of all ages. Just yeah, just worth worth checking out. Now though, we're gonna, we're gonna get into the real meat. Because the greatest news ever was announced this week. The biggest news ever. I know what it is. I know you know. <laughs> what Marvel is it, Marco? Comics. Oh, wait. <laughs> I want to hear what Marco thinks it is. Is <laughs> resurrecting Jean Grey. Not the young Jean Grey. Not giving me some shitty little teenager. Oh, my God. We're talking about my Jean Grey. We're talking about the Phoenix. We're talking about the greatest comic book character of all time. I am over the moon excited about this. This is why, 
No matter what else Marvel does, I will always love them. Because at the end of the day, Marvel knows how to please me. This is pleasing me. This is the best. <laughs> at the end of the day, Marvel knows how to please me. They only killed her for 20 years, but finally Guess she's what? back. I wasn't alive when they killed her. So for me, <laughs> that's, that's okay. That's okay. Because now she's back. Uh, I don't know how for how long. Uh, speculation is that it's going to be for just a five-issue series because the series is called Phoenix Resurrection. That's where she's coming back. Um, it's going to be basically she comes back for a reason. That reason is not uh, known yet. And how will the X-Men react? Obviously, the world is very different since she died. Um, even the the major players in the X-Men world are different. Uh Current timeline, Wolverine is dead. Cyclops is dead. Professor X is dead. So how does Jean Grey react to that? Um, how does old man Logan react to seeing Jean Grey? How does young Jean Grey react to seeing old Jean Grey? There's just a lot of interactions that are going to be very interesting. Uh, this is a book that's coming from Matthew Rosenberg and Lenil Yu. So that's some pretty good talent. Uh, and the book's coming out on December 27th. So That's my birthday. There you go. What a perfect birthday gift for you, Pete. I'm going to gift you that. You said December, right? Yeah. December 27th? Absolutely. Yeah, wow. Cool. You know, Sean, I, I, I really thought the the big news you're going to be dropping was the rumor of Greg Capullo going to draw Swamp Thing, um, but it, <laughs> but it, it wasn't. Uh, so, in my head, I was, I was like, oh, okay. But, um, you know, I'm I'm a biggest fan as of uh, of Joan Gray as much as the next guy, but... <laughs> But you know, <laughs> but you know, I uh, I don't really care much. Really, that's cool. So I included a a, a particular topic uh, in the show this week that I could remove. Oh no! <laughs> the power's Joan here, Gray. buddy. <laughs> Joan Gray. What's her name? I need to I'm hear that. Mega level mutant, Marco. Okay. Say her name. Say her name. Marco. Yeah. What's her proper name? Jean Grey Daddy. Thank you. <laughs> that's, oh, man. That's this turned into a Fifty Shades of Grey thing real quick. <laughs> that's how we like it. What's the safe word? Phoenix. <laughs> <laughs> God, why? <laughs> so, uh, do you guys just want to briefly say how excited you are for this? Sean, I'm palpably excited. I'm sweaty. <laughs> Nice. <laughs> me too, dude. My knees are weak. My mom's spaghetti is on the table already. Um, <laughs> it's coming out of my birthday. That's ridiculous. Yes. Three days after Christmas, right? Yeah. Yeah. What a late. Two days. Oh my god, that's a that's an amazing late Christmas gift, right, Phil? Mm-hmm. <laughs> we're all just gonna, we're all just gonna get a wrapped copy of this fucking book. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, this, since we're going to talk about Doomsday Clock later in the show, they should do a uh, Jean Grey clock where it's like, how long will it be until they kill her off again? Never. <laughs> I don't know if you realize this, but she was dating Captain Marvel in the afterlife. It's going to create a lot of tension. I don't know if you realize this, but uh, the Phoenix dated Odin way back in the day. Like the entity? Yeah. 
We all know Odin likes birds, dude. Don't be weird about it. <laughs> I love the feeling of thy cloaca. <laughs> oh, God. Right. Well, now you... Uh, you took it way too far. Yeah, taking us to a point where... I'm uncomfortable. Even I don't want to talk about this anymore. So instead, we'll talk about what's coming to HBO, which is a Watchmen TV series. Now, we talked about this a few months ago, the rumor of Damon Lindelof working on a Watchmen television series for HBO. At the time, Damon Lindelof said he had never even spoken to anybody at HBO about the prospect, but now we have confirmation. Um, HBO has pulled the lid off it. Uh, THR has confirmed this, and Damon Lindelof himself did post an Instagram uh, image of Night Owl's ingratitude statue that was in a writer's room. Uh, HBO president Casey Bloys uh, had this to say about the prospect of a Watchmen series. I don't want to talk too much about it, but Damon is thinking about it in a way exactly as you describe it. Uh, the description is to follow, which is how do you take the material and derive it from a TV show without making it a literal translation? So we know it's coming. It's inevitable. How do you guys feel? Actually, I wanted to take an opportunity to read a comment that we got on our Instagram uh, when we posted about this news. Um, This actually comes from a friend of mine, uh, Casey Hendricks, um, who writes in and says, Any speculation on format? So far, we've had the animated comic broken up into chapters, the full-length movie, which is probably not nearly long enough to capture the breath of the Watchmen. Maybe now we'll get 30 minutes minutes an episode, but how long will they stretch it? I guess it's a 13-episode miniseries that's an hour long piece. Well, 12, right? Or 12, sure. Yeah, that's what I would hope. To me, that's the way to do it and, like, have it made with the choice that it's only going to be one season. You know, that it's going to be a miniseries and it's going to be excellent and stand on its own two feet. And if they want to break it up into two seasons, six and six, great. Um, But I think I want to see them decide on how many episodes it is from the start, commit to that many, write that many, and then do them. You know, not have it be, oh, that was really good. Let's stretch it out and get into some of the before Watchmen stuff. And, you know, let's 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 see how long we can make this last because it's a success. So what concerns me here is that Casey Bloy said without making it a literal translation. So what does that mean? To me, that means it's not going to be uh, it's not going to be similar to the Watchmen film. In the sense that the Watchmen film tried its best to stay close to the source material. It's not going to literally take what's in the comic and put it on on screen. That's what that means to me. And so if that's not what they're doing, then what the hell are they doing? Because I don't I'm not terribly interested in Damon Lindelof's Watchmen in the sense that he's crafting a story that's outside the scope of what Alan Moore had to say. I'm not terribly interested in that. Uh, I think it really depends. Like, it's too early to really say for me, you know, because I am kind of interested in the idea of something that's not necessarily um, a slavish a slavish adaptation because I don't think that that worked uh, for the Watchmen film. 
And I think when we've talked about it in the past, like that's been my primary concern is that it's really hard to make a shot for shot film remake of the comic because so much of what it does visually are things that you can only do in a comic. And I don't mean like with special effects or whatever. Like, I mean, the issue that's a mirror image of itself and stuff like that. Like, that's not, I don't think that's necessarily something that's achievable, uh, the same way in film. And I, I think not trying to recreate things beat for beat. Um, but trying to capture the core of the story and of the characters and of the themes of Watchmen is probably a better idea and could lead to something that's like feels like Watchmen, that feels like the spirit of Watchmen that maybe is a little bit different. And I don't necessarily think that's a bad thing. Yeah. If it's well executed. I have no interest in a shot for shot remake. I'd rather see an artist or creative talents interpretation of something and to give us that interpretation. And frankly, as I've said many times on the show, could be good. Then then why not why can't it be more than twelve episodes? Why does it have to if oh, if, if, if I didn't say that. No, I'm I, I'm, I said that, I'm referring that was to my Peter speculation. You guys said that it should be like twelve episodes, that it should that they should commit to one season or two split. If they're not slavishly recreating the show and if there's uh, if they're allowing, if we're saying that Damon Lindelof should um, put himself into it and should embrace the spirit without necessarily adhering to exactly what's in the book, then why not go forward and do something totally different? Um, because I I think that that will be a problem. You know, I, I think when you look at a lot of the the really really well executed um, television dramas there was a clear narrative arc that was like, you know, like Breaking Bad, right, is one of those like, oh, this is one of the all-time great shows. That's what most people think. And from the beginning, it was supposed to be five seasons, and it was, yeah, like not every beat was decided from the very beginning, but it was very much like, well, this is where he starts and this is where he ends. Let's tell that story. And like, I think when you're doing an adaption, like, I don't, I don't necessarily think they should go completely off the rails and do something that's totally unrelated to the original. Um, but I think reimagining it in a way that, um, speaks to, uh, David's vision is something that could be good. You know, you, you mean like visually, like visually not. Yeah. Necessary. Or, and again, even if he changes some of the beats of the story, but speaks to the message of the book. Like, I don't, I don't, I'm, I could be okay with that is what I'm saying. But, you know, but again, then why, why is that limited to 12 episodes? Because if it's, if it's his vision, it, throw, throw 12 episodes out. I just, I want to see it be a fixed thing. Like, and if, if they decide that's three seasons, if they decide that's five seasons, like whatever it is, that's fine. I don't want to see it turn into what most television shows do when they're a big success, which is like what we're seeing with Game of Thrones right now, right? Where it was supposed to have ended this past season, but they broke it up into two seasons so that they could make it last for another year and still have Game of Thrones as their big show. And, like, that is great for HBO financially. It's really shitty and annoying as a fan. And I, I don't want to see, like, and granted, HBO doesn't usually do this, but they did it with Game of Thrones, and most other networks do it with any show that lasts for more than five or six or seven seasons and still has ratings. They'll put it on until it sucks. Breaking and Bad, I don't want to see... Go ahead. Go ahead, I'm sorry. Uh, Breaking Bad actually did the same thing, and uh, Sopranos did a very similar thing. 
Um, yeah, I know Breaking Bad did a thing where it split up its season as well to extend the broadcast length. And, and that's the kind of thing I, I'd like to see them avoid, you know? And I, I get it. That's the business of television. I'm not criticizing them for doing it, but I would rather see Watchmen be a tight, well-executed miniseries than a uh, potentially bloated five-season, six-season, seven-season epic. Because I don't, I don't think there's enough there for that. There is enough to make a really, really, really great 12-hour series, you know? Well, at that point, uh, the question of is there enough there for that is based around what Damon Lindelof can come up with, right? Because yeah, that's fine. At, at that point, you're saying that we're only using Alan Moore's story as a roadmap rather than a guidebook. Yeah. Or a Bible. Yeah. yeah, that's great. So Yeah, yeah, you're totally right there, right? Like if 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 he delivers me five season of great watch five great seasons of Watchmen, I'm not complaining. But if you're asking me what do I think, how would I want to see it done, what would I do? That's where I think is the best path path forward to something that's quality and that doesn't bless you. That doesn't like get away from itself. Or what do I think they are going to do? I think they're gonna do like twelve episodes. They're like an hour long. That's like my guess. I think, I think that makes sense. Okay, uh, Marco, what's your final thought on what they will, what you believe they will do? Don't make a fart sound. <laughs> um, I mean, I can't. I, I obviously can't say, but I I know that I would I would I wouldn't mind it being either an adaption or they try to redo like a, a shot for shot for me, like for it. I'm at the point where it doesn't it doesn't matter. I'd like to see Watchmen on on the screen uh, again, so I I don't mind it either way. Like I, I'm I'm just excited for it and looking forward to whatever they can they can produce so long as it is, um, it, it so long as it does have quality. Cool. Um, I would definitely agree with you, Marco. You know, like if it's a good straight adaption, I'm okay with that. You know, like if it's just well executed and it really captures the feeling of Watchmen. Like, there's certainly nothing wrong with that either. I'm very interested. I'm very surprised at how this conversation went. Um, it, it sounds like everyone's coming around to my Fox perspective. Let's stop now. Uh, so, Zack Snyder directed the Watchmen film, and obviously there are mixed feelings about that. Uh, he also directed Justice League. And has been absent from all press surrounding the movie. And we talked about that last week. And now we know why. Uh, because in an interview with Wired, uh, Zack Snyder said that he hasn't been checking in on Justice League since he parted ways with the production. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he said that it'd be unfair in a lot of ways for him to get involved with Justice League at this point. Um, and he also said this, I'm at a place where I feel excited about it and I'm happy for my guys. And I love these people that are working on it and they're my family. And I think they're doing an amazing job. So that's, that's kind of his stance on it. Um, it's just interesting that he came out and said these things a week after it came out that he was not going to be doing any press at all for the movie. And that put drew into question, um, what the relationship was with with Warner Brothers. So does this what can we take from this? I mean I think it's becoming increasingly clear that his relationship with them is ending. 
and I don't I don't think they're going to make that announcement until this movie's over. Or um, if at all. Yeah, I mean that's possible too. But I don't know. I I assume we'll get an official announcement sometime after the movie comes out that'll be like, "Oh, you know, we are so thankful for all the great work that Zack and what's his wife's name again?" I can't remember either, but she's like a producer on like all the movies as well. But we're, you know, we're so happy for all the work that the Snyders have done on these movies and da 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 da. PR, 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 PR. Yeah, exactly. Right. And then it'll be like, but, you know, you know, we, we like would like to open it up to bring in new creative talent. And, you know, he wants to go work on his independent movie that he just did and da 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 da. Go see that. You know, like, I'm, yeah, I'm sure it's just going to be a amicable parting once the dust settles around justice league, you know? Um, I think that you're probably right. And it's interesting because Zack Snyder and WB have had a really good relationship for many, many years prior to this. And, uh, I'm, I'm wondering if his, I'm wondering if, okay, so follow me. The way that we approach superhero comics has changed since Man of Steel came out. And I think part of why is because of Man of Steel. Do you mean movies or comics? Uh, I just wanted movies. to clarify. Superhero Okay, movies. yeah, you said, you said superhero comics. Oh, whoops, sorry. Uh, in the sense that now we, we don't necessarily always want to see a dark and gritty uh, film, right? I don't think we wanted to then. Yep. I, think, yep. I think the perception was that we wanted it. Um, no. <laughs> yeah, it was. The perception was that that's what we wanted because of how they well the wrong. Dark Knight trilogy did. Yeah, I, I think I think you're. I'm with you. I, I, yeah, I think you're right. But like movies like Avengers came out at like that time. Iron Man. These weren't grim dark movies. It was just Warner Brothers like we made a really good movie in 2008. Let's try to do it with everything. Okay, and that was their perception of what we wanted. And we've seen how dumb Warner Brothers has been. Absolutely. And so uh, I think that they've they've turned the corner and they recognize or feel that Zack Snyder, his vision is more a part of the problem that they've been having than a part of anything that's going to help them moving forward. And that's unfortunate for him. Uh, but I, I, I hate to say this because I respect what he's I respect what he has done. But I think that's probably for the best. Uh, you know, dude, it's like I don't I don't want to like sling shit but i really am not a fan of Zack snyder i don't think he's a very good director i think he's decent at like creating a a a look for a movie but i feel like so so many of his movies just look the same and i don't like any of his superhero movies and i don't think that i i really don't think that any of his comic adaptions since uh 300 which is a comic i never read so i don't even know if it's a good adaption um, have been interesting to me at all. You know, I think Watchmen totally misses the point. I think Man of Steel totally misses the point. BVS is a bloated fucking mess, and it doesn't seem like Justice League is going to be much better. I've never seen a movie of his I liked. I've seen all of them except Dawn of the Dead. Yeah, no, honestly, I'm, I'm kind of with you. Like, I, I really, like, even thinking about it, I just, I don't really think that, I, I don't think that he was ever the right choice, and I think that that's become more apparent as time has gone on, and I'm, I'm glad that it seems like they're finally parting ways, you know? Nothing against the guy personally. I just really don't 
don't like his movies. Yeah. I mean, I, honestly, it's just, it's a situation where what can you say? Zack Snyder did his best. I believe he did his best. I believe that he provided WB with what they said they wanted at the time. I just think that yeah, yeah. what they, what they, what they want now has changed. And yeah, I agree. <clears throat> yeah, dude. I just feel like his stuff, it, it very much reminds me of how I feel about a lot of the comics from the nineties. You know, it's, it's this very, Hyper masculine, uh, kind of like just like everybody is like a fucking hulking monster and like they're always yelling and grunting and it's just like very like I don't know, like very grim dark and up its own ass a little bit, you know? And and I feel like Wonder Woman is such a sharp contrast from all the other movies that have preceded it in this universe. Um, I guess not necessarily Suicide Suicide Squad isn't necessarily like that. It's more just like, reminds me of Hot Topic. Um, but I feel like those, they just feel so hollow. And like Wonder Woman is the first movie that came out that really felt like it had heart. And then it didn't feel like it was like pandering to someone, you know? And maybe the problem is they just weren't pandering to me, right? And Wonder Woman is in my wheelhouse. So... Maybe that's just them finally making a movie that aligns with my sensibilities, but I really, it makes sense that they're making this change. You know, like Wonder Woman is the one movie that was both critically successful and like wildly commercially successful for them. You know, like all the other ones have made money, but they've been the butt of a joke. And this is the first like movie that they can hang their hat on that's actually good. So yeah, like I, I, I'm glad to see that they're getting with the program. The, uh, the the unit of measurement of how good a movie is is how many memes can Phil spout about the Warner Brothers movie. And with Wonder Woman, I haven't had any. <laughs> Zero memes. Zero <laughs> memes. Speaking of Wonder Woman, uh, congratulations are in order because Wonder Woman has officially ended its box office run, uh, both domestically and worldwide, with $819 million. Holy shit. Oh, my God. But I but I, I do want to provide these interesting facts. So uh, here in the States, Wonder Woman made four hundred and eleven million um, and only four superhero films have beat that out. So The Dark Knight Rises made four hundred forty eight million. Avengers Age of Ultron came in at 458 million, and The Dark Knight made 534 million, and Avengers made 623 million. So Wonder Woman is in really good company with that. Wow. Um, All of those are such good movies. What, what, what point are you making? Just shut your fucking mouth, Phil. I'm saying that most of those movies suck. Really? Yeah. You suck. Yeah. Um, Not all of them, but mostly. Its budget was only 149. So that, I mean, that's a huge, um, that's a huge turnaround for them. They, I mean, that's a, that's a lot of money. Um, but then, even if you just, if you take away just the superhero, um, uh, banner, it's number 20 on the all time list of, of, uh, most successful films, which is incredible. Um, if you look at it in terms of the global on the global scale, um, it was just as profitable, but it didn't you know it didn't beat Spider Man, um, 
but it did beat Independence Day, which is amazing. Uh, it beat uh, Harry Potter. Is it? I, yeah, I think so. <laughs> well, oh, you mean you mean the original Independence Day? Yeah, yeah. But okay, and, and okay. the original Spider Man. I wonder how that relates when you adjust for inflation, because like they they do they do that. Did they do do that? Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When when you're looking at like the highest grossing films of all time, they're always adjusted for inflation because otherwise, like Titanic wouldn't have would would have been beaten out a while ago probably. Okay. Uh, one one thing that I did want to report that's interesting here is that the domestic total uh, outweighed the international one, um, which is not typical, actually. Typically speaking, these movies obviously will do well here, um, but then once they're released into the wild, um, you know they do they do a ton more business. You look at Superman, uh, Batman, Superman. It made thirty seven percent of its money here and then 62% of its money elsewhere. Um, so and here it's like more, it's almost 50, 50, right? It's like, but we're a little more in, in the States for which movie for wonder woman. Uh, well for wonder woman, I'm not sure, uh, how much, Oh, well wait. So it made, so it made 819 total 411 here. Uh, and then, so yeah, uh, roughly the same. Yeah. Yeah. Roughly. 50, yeah. 50. That's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> that's uh that's a that's pretty significant. Hmm. I wonder why that is. Uh probably because Wonder Woman her first of all her aesthetic is a lot more uh American, American than yeah, anything. Yeah, that's true. Uh, and you know, we saw how Captain America 1 did internationally. Um so there's that. And then also Wonder Woman outperformed because of the buzz surrounding it and the goodwill and the oh, it's the first you know really good uh, superhero film with a woman in it. You know, like that stuff mattered a lot more here, or with a woman at the center. That stuff mattered a lot more here than it might internationally. Um, That's a good point. So, yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure there are a lot of women who went to go see it who probably didn't go see any of the other DC movies. It was more of. I was talking to someone about this the other day, and Wonder Woman's success has more to do, I believe, with what it stands for than how good it necessarily was. I don't know. I, I kind of think it's both. Like, I, cause I think the fact that it is so good and, and the fact that it is also a groundbreaking film was just like why it was so monumentally successful, you know, like it, it was definitely a really like big moment. Yeah. It, that's what I'm saying. The moment of, of the film is more important than the quality. I, I, I yeah, I don't want to get into a whole like Wonder Woman uh, debate. I don't think that it is as good as a lot of people say it is. I think it's pretty good, um, but I think it has some significant flaws, and I think it suffers from being the origin story. Um, but it was important nonetheless, and that importance coupled with the fact that it's a movie that. You could go see and enjoy uh, is what made it. Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely was warmer on it than you were. I, I, I think, like, I don't disagree with the point you're making, I guess. I think it's just, like, I think the fact that it is that that movie, right, that it was such a culturally important moment for a lot of, you know, people, specifically women, um, that the fact that it was also good and, like, actually uh, – you know, inspiring in a lot of ways and stuff like that and of a high quality, I think is what 
you know, propelled it to this. Cause otherwise I think it could have easily been a thing of like, people would write it off because it was trying to be that, but failed. I don't know. That's probably in the top five best superhero movies of the 2010s. I can't think, I would agree. I can't think of many that were better. Fair enough. Um, so moving on, uh, we did talk about the tone of the DCEU and how it's changing uh, and how Zack Snyder's kind of being pushed out. And it looks like Matthew Vaughn might be stepping in because there's been a lot of rumor and speculation that he may be the director to tackle Man of Steel 2. Uh, so he had this to say uh, in an interview with Collider. Weirdly, if I did do Superman, and I made the mistake of telling someone yesterday, I have spoken about it, and then wallop, uh, I think my main take would be, it's really boring, but make a Superman film. I just don't feel a proper Superman. I think Donner did it to perfection for that time. Uh, just doing the modern, I want to do a modern version of the Donner version. Go back to the source material. For me, Superman is colorful, feel-good, heroic. He's a beacon of light and darkness. And that's what I think Superman should be. Is that uh, all the right shit? Yeah. Sounds good. Yeah. Uh, that's, of course, a stark contrast to uh, stuff like Kingsman and uh, Kick-Ass. Sure. Um, he did first class and he did, and, and, and Kingsman is real as a film is very good, but tonally, I know exactly what you mean. And, uh, I, I agree, but I mean, based off his, <clears throat> based off his words and his seeming conviction, I mean, he has the right idea if he were to do it. And he's got chops. He's, he's, got he's chops. a good filmmaker. And like, if he's saying he wants to make a straight up Superman movie, that's bright and colorful and yeah, like. Give him a shot. Fuck it. You know, like it sounds like he has his his head in the right place, you know, and like I really like uh, First Class and Kick-Ass. I think they're both really like good superhero movies. I think Kick-Ass specifically is pretty underrated. Um, and like, you know, I, I I don't know. I totally could see him doing a good Superman. I, I'm actually very intrigued by the idea of Matthew Vaughn Superman, because one thing that you know, we just talked about all these different movies he's made, and one of the things that's key among them is that he's got range, and he's not. Yeah, that's for fucking sure. Yeah, he's not making movies to keep, you know, saying the same thing over and over again. You know, uh, yeah, if, yeah. If he's got a Superman movie in his head, and it's it's anything like what he just described, um, then I would love to see what he, you know, what what he has to say about that character. Um, yeah, dude. And at this point, at, at this point for me, I just want to see a Superman that does go back to basics. The one thing that I will say that I didn't really care for is that he wants to make a modern Richard Donner uh, Superman. That uh, immediately flashes me back to Superman Returns, which was awful. Uh, I don't want to see a remake, a rehash, or anything like that. I want to see something unique and modern and that stands on its own two feet and that isn't aping something that came out 60 years ago or whatever, and I hope that that's not what he would do. I think there's such, a big, there's such a big difference between aping it and getting what it got right right again, though, and I think that's what he's talking about, you know? Because I think the problem with Superman Returns is that it, it's trying to be like that, but it's not good. It reminds me of like Schulmacher's Batman, right? Like it's like, oh, it wants to be like Adam West Batman, but it's not that, 
You know, it's it's a it's a shitty caricature of that. Well, he says and, Man of Steel. Disagree. Um, and, and I think I definitely think that trying to distill the special sauce that that movie gets right about Superman is not a bad idea. I think slavishly trying to homage it or recreate it, that's that's where you get into trouble. But you made the point. I don't think he's in the business of doing that, right? Like, you look at, like, his track record of what are the films he's the most famous for, excluding the fact that Kick-Ass and X-Men are both quote-unquote superhero movies, like, there's not a lot of similarity between all the projects that he's done the settings that they're in the way characters are portrayed like he definitely has a lot of range and seems to be in the business of trying to do something new all the time and challenge himself so i don't know i i think i'd be really confident if if we find out that this rumor is true and that he's our man like yeah let's fucking do it i'm game for sure so uh marco yep what are we talking about next? Something. <laughs> Sean, tell us more about Jean Grey. Okay, cool. So, uh, Jean Grey. No. No. Um, <laughs> we we know now, courtesy of Greg Capullo himself, the man himself, uh, that he will be drawing a Swamp Thing comic book next year. Um, now, of course, we don't necessarily know that that's going to be an ongoing. We don't know what it's going to be, um, but he was asked by a fan um, in t- on Twitter what comic they, the fan, should frame in their room. And Capullo replied with the following tweet, my first Swamp Thing issue when it comes out. That's a good, that's a good, that's a good reveal. <laughs> yeah. So that that's really, really cool. Um, Greg Capullo is one of the best artists in the biz. Uh, Marco, what man? How do you feel about this? What are you thinking about this? I'm pumped. I've been dying for uh, a revamp ever since the uh, New Fifty Two stuff. There was that mini from Len Wein and Kelly Jones, which was uh, it was all right. Um, so I'm looking. I'm looking forward to just getting more some more swampy action. Do you, Marco? Do you think it's going to be Snyder returning the Swamp Thing if Capullo is doing the art? Uh, I don't think so. I think that Snyder has. He's doing his stuff, and this is Capullo doing his own thing. Um, I know that Snyder's a fan of the character, but I don't see him returning to it. Who do you um, think is going to write then? Or who would you like to see write? I guess who would I like question. to see? Yeah, paired with Capullo. I'd like to see Soul come back just to finish off his run. I know he had a bunch of ideas that he that he had, and his run was actually pretty. It, it turned Swampy into like more of a superhero type but it was still it was it was good um or somebody who is just like straight up horror focused like like a cullen bun or something who although he doesn't do well with you know some some superhero stuff i think this character play will play well with his sort of his style this is cool though greg capullo is one of my favorite active artists in the industry yeah and and his stuff his early stuff from like uh like on spawn if you can capture that sort of darker uh, greedier look. I think it'll work well on on Swamp Thing. Yeah, I I mean I loved uh, some of the Swamp Thing stuff, like what you were re- referencing, the New Fifty Two stuff. I thought that was really great. Um, and, and that's having no exposure to the character prior. Um, 
I, I got to tell you, I haven't had a ton of interest in him since since then. Uh, but this is this announcement is enough to get me invested in what they'll do. Um, and then whoever the writer ends up being, although to be honest with you, I feel like, and I know I'll get flack for this, but I feel like DC's pool of super um, big names is not very big. I think it's kind of limited um, in terms of their writers, and I'm just not sure who would do this one. I, I wouldn't want it to be like an older writer, like a like a Jurgens or a, or who's that? There's another guy I don't like. I forget his name, but he was on Superman or something. Well, Jurgens um, is the one writing Superman. He's writing there, action. There was somebody else, but I, I forget. But like one of those like older writers, I'm not. I don't think would be like, like a Giffen. I don't think it'll be they can handle the character in a way that stays true to how it's been portrayed in the past. What about Jeff Lemire? I could see it. Yeah, I could too. I think that'd be good. It'd be quirky. His animal man was really good. Yeah, I heard. Yeah. Yeah. I want to pick it up. Oh, you've not read that. No man. Yeah. That was, that's right up your alley. Cause that was happening during the, during the swamp thing run actually. Yeah. I have the, the tie-ins and stuff, but I, I don't have like, I haven't read the full run. Peter Milligan, maybe Milligan. Okay. I can see that. Yeah. Yeah. Dan Abnett. That'd be a really good one. Nah, I'm not a fan of Abnett. Uh, I think he was the guy I was thinking of. Embrace the young blood. Just give it to Gerard way. That'd be really cool. Actually. That would be really cool because I know he is—he is a fan of the character, but we'll see. Yeah. Uh, well, whoever it is, though, uh, I think this is one to be on the lookout for. So, stay tuned. Do you think? Uh, do you think this is? I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. Um, do you think this is like been in the works, or do you think this is motivated by lens passing? Been in the works. Yeah. It might have also been like due to—I mean, Bernie passing a couple months back too. That's true. Hold so, on. I'm sorry. Sidebar here on Jeopardy this week. The final oh, question yeah, I saw. Uh, was about Len. Mm-hmm. And it was like, which Marvel character, uh, which comic book character was created by famous creator Len Wein um, that has like thick hair and claws, something to that effect. And the two of the responses in final Jeopardy, one person wrote the weasel and another person wrote the badger. And I'm just thinking like, if I'm a person that doesn't know anything about comic books, why would I think the weasel or badger? <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, these guys yeah. might be comic characters. Like, wouldn't you go through your head and think about, like, comic book characters that are famous, at least? That's mind-blowing. It's one of those things where it's, like, mind-blowing to me that, like, after 20 years of X-Men movies that there's still people that don't know, like, Wolverine. You know, like, I, at least at some capacity. So, haven't you heard of the misadventure of the weasel? Yeah. <laughs> and his arch nemesis, the badger? <laughs> I just thought it was crazy. Like, it's not obscure. Someone draw that up. I want to I see that. Yeah, listeners, draw the weasel versus the badger. <laughs> Sean, remember earlier when you said the world was coming in this weekend? Yeah. Well, I just got an important announcement from USA today. Nibiru is no longer colliding with Earth. The man who announced the end of the world is coming decided that uh, it's, it's postponed. Really? Yeah. It's great to hear. Oh, damn. Wait, is that a, I'm literally going... <laughs> is that a true fact? That is a true fact. Breaking news. You know Breaking what that news. means, listeners? You get to hear this. That's right. Aliens are going to have to wait a little longer. 
to, to, to be fair, they're already hearing this, maybe. Well, we, now I mean, they are for sure, because the end of the world didn't happen yet. But we don't know that. Listeners, you decide. You decide. <laughs> <laughs> did uh, you or did you not hear this episode? Well, I'm going to an end of the world party tonight, so I hope the world's still ending. Write in and let us know if the world ended, because from our position now, we don't know. So just let us know if the world ended, and uh, or write in and tell us that it didn't. <laughs> yeah, did it? Did it or did it not end? Um, if they do the Star Wars Marvel crossover, you know it ended. <laughs> Hell's frozen over. We we would be remiss to not mention the fact that today is Batman Day. Uh, it is. It is indeed. Uh, today, today is Batman. Batman Day, September twenty third, is Batman Day. We've done a Batman episode, so that's why we're not. You know, we we're, this is not a Batman centered episode. But uh, happy birthday, or no, I guess not happy birthday, but happy Batman Day. Uh, write in and let us. Do you know, know what the sorry? what's the deal? Why why is it Batman Day? It just like, is. They just decided. We just, that, made, we just decided that. Yeah, it's been. This has been Batman Day for. A few years now, um, but yeah, I don't know that there is any kind of significance. Um, Listeners, remember on Batman Day, hockey pads are on discount and clearance. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not wearing hockey pads. Let us know if you bought anything special to celebrate Batman Day or Batman Month or whatever, and also let us know your favorite Batman uh, comics, Batman stories. Uh, let us know. Uh, ours, you can go back and watch our episode whatever about batman uh, we go we go into all that stuff so check that out i think it's like 17 or something like that yeah maybe um but right now we're gonna talk about doomsday clock doomsday clock is the dc event it's the next event that's coming dark knight's metal is a thing still uh these two events will be going will be um actively published alongside one another but they have nothing to do with each other uh doomsday clock launches november 22nd uh and we've got a trailer but it's more of just kind of jeff johns talking about doomsday clock now we all watched it and i want to start the larger conversation that we're going to have with this trailer. So the question that I'm posing this week is does DC's goodwill does everything that they've gotten right this year and the year prior hinge upon whether or not Doomsday Clock is good? No. Whoa, 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 so. whoa, whoa. Hey guys. Hot takes. It's almost like we've never done the show before. So <laughs> Obviously, <laughs> obviously, there's a lot of people who don't want a Watchmen DC crossover. There are a lot of people who think that if this happens, it's DC's jump the shark moment and they can never return from this, right? Does it even matter if the event is good? Will people look at this and say, nope? DC screwed the pooch. I'm done with them. I'm not reading their comics anymore. Or maybe they don't take that hard of a line, but they just totally ignore this event. Uh, now, Jeff Johns and DC collectively have done a ton of interviews. They've done a ton of press to try to make this thing something that people are looking forward to. And I think in, in, in a lot of ways it has worked. Uh, buzz around the book is mixed, but 
positive because of who's attached and because of what Jeff Johns has had to say. Jeff Johns and Gary Frank are known for nothing other than putting out phenomenal books. And Phil, you can attest to that. So the quality, right, the pedigree that's attached leads one to believe this is going to be good. Everything that Jeff Johns has said sounds good. Everything that Jim Lee, everything that Dan Didio has said sounds good. But there's still some cause for concern. Let's save that portion of the conversation for a little bit later and start with this trailer. What did you guys think about what Jeff Johns had to say in this trailer? I think that he's approaching it from a from a good standpoint. At least for me, like he's he realizes that he and he said it. You know, he doesn't just want a a Doctor Manhattan Superman fight. Like he doesn't want to just clamor for the oh we're crossing worlds and these guys are gonna are gonna fight because. Uh, that that feels lazy and it's going to come off as lazy, you know? So when he mentioned that they're looking at it more thematically, they're trying to sort of merge ideas more so than fists, um, that I, I think that's a good direction. I think that's a good way to treat and respect the, the characters that Alan Moore created to respect the, the book and still find a way to marry this new DC universe with the um, oh, just with Watchmen. So, do you think that do you think that the marriage of DC and Watchmen in this in this way is even something that they should be doing? Um, I think when we first started reporting on this, I was of the opinion that they shouldn't, that it, it, you know, you, you shouldn't touch the Watchmen stuff, but I don't remember who it was. It might have been Phil who sort of made the point that though the, the books are on a pedestal, um, it doesn't mean that they're not, it doesn't mean they're untouchable. Um, and so that sort of changed my opinion on it. And I mean, I, I think I think it's fine to to do this. Like, I, I don't I don't see any problems um, with it for me. Pete, your thoughts on uh, Jeff John's words in this trailer? So <clears throat> I think every time I've heard Jeff talk about the book, I feel a little bit less uncomfortable about it. I still I like you know again, <clears throat> if you want my opinion on if it should happen or not, I think probably not. You know, I I like the idea of something standalone being left alone. Um, and I, I think like our need to just keep going back to things is like one of the things I see as a big problem in comics as an industry. But that being said, if Jeff has a story to tell and he is looking at it the way that he says he's looking at it, there's a really legitimate chance that maybe he'll be able to you know, do something new with these characters that is fresh and stands out on its own and is doesn't exist in the shadow of the original. Um, and if that's the case, you know, that could be great. And I think he's, you know, a creator that obviously has kind of like earned, I think, some trust from his readers. And, you know, if this is really the story he wants to tell, like, who am I to say no? You know, and it's like ultimately, like, it doesn't matter if it's bad. You know, like if it's bad, I won't read it and it won't make the original Watchmen any less good. And I don't think it's really going to 
be a thing that like upends uh, DC's success, even if it does suck, even if it does jump the shark. Because it's like, whatever, they have so many things going on that are not related to this at all, you know? So, you know, do I want this? No, but I'm willing to give it the benefit of the doubt until it comes out, I guess. You know, like, we're this far along and... I don't feel as down on it as I did to Marco's point when it was announced because of the things that Jeff has said and the way he said them. Phil? It's interesting because um, this is like a great magic battle. Um, There are two symbols of chaos magic that are charged throughout the story of the Watchmen smiley face splattered with blood and the Superman S, which are both charged symbols in magic. Uh, and it doesn't matter what cranky Alan Moore says or does and how many rituals he casts, it's happening. <laughs> he, can, he can put all those rings on his fingers up his butt for all I care. Um, as for all the people who are real negative on it, they clearly don't listen to this show, and they should, because we have objectively the greatest opinions in anything ever. That all said... It looks good as shit. It looks really promising. So a lot of the things he was saying in the trailer were like, in light of everything that's happened globally, in light of the November elections in 2016, you look at Watchmen as a negative deconstruction of comic books as an art, as in the medium, in light of the Cold War era. I mean, it's like the quintessential Cold War comic book. That's really what it is. Sure. Uh, and he's juxtaposing that with the ultimate symbol of positivity, hope, immigration. I mean, Superman em- em- embodies everything that's positive about humanity, everything we want to be, everything that we are. He embodies a working class. Pull yourself up by the bootstraps. And they're thrusting that archetype in a world or an environment that's been deconstructed, hyper-realistic, and embodies all the psychosis of the Cold War. And to me, that's extremely interesting. It's extremely exciting. It's like you're juxtaposing what how things should be, what we inspire to be, versus the way things, how things are perceived to be. And I'm real intrigued by that. Yeah, um, absolutely. And I, I, it's rare that you hear this kind of talk coming from the writer of a book. Um, just because, you know, he's, he's invested in this in a way that you don't know, like, you don't always get this. You don't always get someone who's so attached to this book that they're willing to put basically their entire career on it. Um, and that's what Jeff Johns is doing. He's staking his whole career on one 12 issue story. Uh, because if this isn't good, then that's kind of it. Not to say that this is the last comic book story that Jeff Johns will ever tell. I'm not so sure about that. Uh, but if it's not good, then this is a, a black mark on a career that's been... Mostly positive. Yeah, pretty good, right? Um, and so is it even worth that kind of risk? Here's what Jeff Johns had to say. Uh, 
I was talking to Gary on the way down this morning. We talked about a layout he's doing right now in issue number two, and I love it. I have to say, he loves it. Every minute I spend on Doomsday Clock, I love comics. That's my heartbeat and my first love forever, and I will never, ever stop loving comics no matter what happens. This has been a joy to work on, a privilege, and an honor to work on. I know it's risky, and I know it's a challenge, and I know there's people out there who think Watchmen shouldn't be touched, but I have a story to tell, I believe in the story, and so does Gary. Gary has a story to tell, and we're going to tell the best damn story we can. Um, Could be good. Yeah, and fuck Watchmen reverence, honestly. And I get how important it is, I get how good it is, but like this fucking man-brat mentality of like... <gasps> Don't touch my Watchmen! No! I don't know, Phil. I honestly, like, I feel like you're such a hypocrite. Because no! I feel like when it's... Really, because, like, when no! I think it's fashionable to hate on that kind of thing, you do that. But if I think if, if people weren't so, like, oh, you shouldn't touch the Watchmen because it's so good or special, you would probably be like, why do we need to be rehashing everything? Why do we need to cross over this with that? Like The, the difference here is, like, we don't do shit with the Watchmen. Um... Really. I mean, except for before Watchmen. And the main thing here is someone has a story to tell. That's the main thing. This isn't DC. I mean, it could be, but that's not the narrative that's coming out of it. This isn't DC saying, we need more money, so let's do more Watchmen stuff, which was the narrative that came out of before Watchmen. This is arguably one of the best creative tandems of the last 20 years collaborating on something that has a lot of promise because there's a story to be told. What did you think about well, f- actually, first of all, did you read anything from before Watchmen film? No, and it's one. I, I was affected by the the stigma at the time because I was like, "This is just DC trying to cash cow a major IP." But I looked at all the talent attached to it when uh, Doomsday Clock was announced, and there's a lot of really good writers and artists on that on those books. So this is what we've talked about many times that bothers me about comic book fans. Before Watchmen is good. There's, uh, yeah, I believe you. Some of it. There's some There's some really good. I read every single tie-in. There are some really good stories there. And there are plenty of people who, like what Phil just expressed, didn't give it a chance because the perception was, oh, this is just a cash-in. Uh, and unfortunately for DC, even if the books were good and the sales were all right, it's still like, oh, you better not touch this or you better not touch it in this way because fans will turn on you. And that's bull. Uh, they, sh- they should do what they feel like doing with characters that they own and and let the result be the result. With, I mean, you look at like Secret Empire, for example. Secret Empire, uh, critically, people loved it. Uh, commercially, didn't do so hot. Why? Because the perception around it was negative. I'm worried about Doomsday Clock receiving the same kind of reception from audiences. I mean, I think that's totally possible. Um, but I also, like, I don't think that people are wrong to feel that way. Like, if, they, if they're if they saying that they don't want more stories told with these characters, like, you're right that DC's within their right to do what they want with those characters, but then the consumers are just as within their right to say, well, I don't want to read it. Sure, you can say, you can, you can choose to read or not read anything, but if you're only doing so because you're taking a hard line stance, uh, then you're denying yourself the opportunity to read something that's really good. And I don't see any reason at all to do that. You're being deliberately ob- obdurate without having given it a chance, which is Sean's whole thing about Secret Empire. I, and, and interestingly, though, 
Uh, DC Comics Senior Vice President John Cunningham told retailers at San Diego Comic-Con that he believes Doomsday Clock number one will be the biggest selling comic of the year. It could be, honestly. And that's probably true be. either way. That's probably true even if it sucks. You think so? Yeah, yeah, I do. It has... I mean, has what was the biggest? It. Yeah, right. And not only that, what was the biggest selling comic last year? Uh, it was fucking um, Suicide Squad versus Justice League, and that book sucked, and people bought it anyway because it's a it's a big marquee event thing, and I think it gets people who actually read comics pick it up because they want to see how it is. It gets laughs fans because they're like, oh, cool, an event. And I think it gets people who are like sharks who go up and pick up number ones that they think are going to be worth money. In contrast, though, didn't Civil War II, which was tied in with the film, not do well with casual audiences? Uh, Civil War II actually did really well. Did it actually? Yeah. Okay. Well, mm-hmm. That's why I didn't speak definitively. Um, uh... I will say this. I, I I met and spoke with Gary Frank last year at New York Comic Con. And if he's there this year, I look forward to doing the same. Um, he doesn't he, he has a he's a very um, he's a very astute and critical eye and he I don't think I can't think of anything he's worked on that's bad. And he definitely enhances anything he's on. Yeah, absolutely. Um and the fact that he had was had reservations at first, and, and and Jeff sold him on it, leads me to believe that there is something really significant and meaningful here. The way Jeff's talking about it, making it sound like this is going to be his magnum opus, his final crisis, if you will. Um, <laughs> I think that there's there's something really brewing here that's special. And I, I personally think that if it really is that good, that people will respond to that. You know, I, I, I have doubts that I have doubts that it'll suffer from the same things around, um, around Secret Empire since we're making that comparison. Just because I think the problems that people have with Secret Empire are more about ideology. You know, or more about like, well, Captain America should never be portrayed as a Nazi because X, Y, and Z. Or I don't like Nick Spencer because of how he is on Twitter. Or I think that he's, you know, uh, some kind of conservative that I don't like or something like that. Like, I, I feel like the, the charge around that book is, is politically motivated, not fandom motivated. And I think if this book comes out and is really great and has this great creative team and it is a magnum opus, all-time great story, that people are going to read it and get over it. Because I think the concern is that they're going to dredge up Watchmen and do something shit. And whether or not there were good stories within before Watchmen, like that had such a different narrative around it. And I think they've done the legwork to try and present this as something different. And I think if it succeeds on a critical level, um, that the sales will be there as well. The, the, the only other thing I want to make note of is I think Jeff Johns is arguably the best writer on Superman of the, of the post-crisis era. Um, like him and Morrison. Yeah. But Jeff gets... I think a lot of people feel that way. Jeff gets Superman. Jeff gets Superman. I think Jeff gets Dr. Manhattan. I think. Well, did he, did he work on the Doctor Manhattan before Watchmen book? It's no, it's, it's just it's just like 
the language that he's using to describe the character in everything that he said um, since this announcement. I think that. Go ahead. It's just interesting because you know Luthor, Lex Luthor is the genuine foil to Superman, right? You know, um, he's a, he's cowardly. He wants to be peak human. Um, there's no empathy. It's all about the self. Whereas Doctor Manhattan as a concept really seems like the opposite of Superman. As some people say, the opposite of love isn't hate, it's apathy or indifference. And Dr. Manhattan at its very core of a concept is extremely nihilistic because there's no motion, which is something that's thematically explored throughout the book, especially when he's involved with Silk Spectre. And Superman by definition is empathy. He's compassion. He is love. And so for him to kind of brush up against Manhattan, I think is an interesting thematic comparison. Yeah. And Jeff himself made that comparison as well, saying like, that's the kind of moment that he wrote it around, right. was that he wanted to see these two characters come, uh, and, and sit down and have a conversation and not even because of like, um, that ideological difference, but of the, the mirror image there of like Superman is a God who just wants to be a man. And, um, and Dr. Manhattan's the opposite of that. He's a man who became a God, you know? Yeah. So listeners, if we're not selling you on this concept, then you're not actually listening to the show. Rewind the last like 20 minutes, re-listen <laughs> to what we said, and listen closely, because the point is, we're shilling hard for this book because it sounds damn good. And like, maybe, that's the thing, is like, I think there's something here for sure, but like, I, I don't know, like, I, I think we should just wait and see, you know, because like, I also understand people's, people's trepidation, you know? So, real quick, I want to make the point, um... It's a quick correction that uh, Justice League Suicide Squad was was not actually the number one selling comic last year. Um, was it? No. It, or was that two years ago? It, it, no, it came out last year, but it just wasn't the number one selling book. It was actually... You lied to me, Dark Manning! <laughs> <laughs> it was actually uh, Big Trouble in Little China slash Escape from New York. Wait, really? Greg Pak's book? Was that, was that by Greg Pak? Yeah. There you go. Good shit. Um, That's boom, I num- think. Number two was actually uh, Civil War Two, number one. Um, so there's that. Um, yeah, I was sh- shocked by that. Um, that is shocking. Yeah. Who the fuck's reading Big Trouble in Little China? I. That just goes to show you, right? Like, who even knows what becomes a hit in comics? Um, but the thing with this is that. Everything that DC has done, and, you know, Pete, Pete said this well, they've done their best to shift the narrative over to where, hey, these are two of the biggest and best in, in the industry. We are respectful of Watchmen. This is not Justice League versus Watchmen. This is not Batman fighting Rorschach in the streets of Gotham. You know, this is about people. This is about emotion. This is about humanity this is about um you know big stakes big things that really do matter and that's important but those are the things that make up the story and have nothing to do necessarily with how people are going to look at this from the outset there are plenty of people who won't read these articles plenty of people who won't watch that trailer plenty of people who will see that trailer and say oh that's bs that's just that's just a guy selling a comic 
So my question to you guys is, will can all of this work to sell this book? And is DC putting themselves at risk by publishing this? I don't think yes. so. Yes. Marco, so why the, yes? Well, yes to your first point, and then to the second one. I'm going to say yes as well. Well, not risk, but they're they're going to be under scrutiny. Like it's not going to be anything that's like, oh, it's going to bring down the the company, but it'll be something that uh will be like, oh, see, this is why you don't do it. That kind of that kind of talk and that kind of it's, it's, feeling it's, if if it, if it if it fails or something. It's like when Wonder Woman was coming out, and we were worried that like if the movie wasn't good, then people were like, see, you can't make a movie with a female. Yeah, lead. yeah, right. I, I, that's the worst case scenario in my mind. I don't I don't see any any scenario where this hurts DC's bottom line in a significant way because frankly, we see events come out and suck and flop all the time, and like it doesn't really matter, like. If everything else DC was doing was bad, then sure, then this could be a really significant like blow to them. But worst case scenario, this makes I think more than anyone, it makes Jeff look bad. It's weird, actually. I think this is a little bigger than your typical event in a in a time where events are truly saturated by both companies. Doomsday Clock is being pushed and conjured in a way that's much different than any other event. This this genuinely to me comes off in 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 the way it's being pushed as the biggest event from DC since Flashpoint. Um, yeah, this the biggest event yeah. in comics since probably Flashpoint in terms of the way it's being pushed. Yeah, but that's the thing is like that's just push like that's PR and like that matters if it is that. But if it isn't, I think it'll be like what Marco said. It'll be everyone being like, look, see, we knew this was going to suck. This is why you don't do this. Why did you do this? Fuck you. And then they'll move on. Like, I really believe that. Like, I do. Because it's like when you look at how many other books DC has right now that are successful that have nothing to do with this, like this sucking isn't going to make you know, the young animal stuff unsuccessful or the Hanna-Barbera stuff that they're doing unsuccessful. It's not going to affect most of their superhero books long-term probably like it's, I just don't, I think if it matters, it matters. And if it sucks, it becomes a a punchline and that'll suck for a year or six months. But I don't, I don't think it hurts DC's future considering they've been making a lot of other really good decisions where their comics are concerned. I don't think this like rattles everyone's faith in them. And then they're like, Oh, I'm not, I'm not going to read Tom King's Batman because flashpoint sucked. Or right. doomsday clock or not flashpoint. I'm sorry. <laughs> you said flashpoint before and it Freudian slip. Um, because, uh, uh, doomsday clock, doomsday clock sucks. I was yeah. genuinely confused, but I just went with it. I was like, okay, yeah. All right, Pete. Sure. Yeah, so I, I just I don't I don't know that I don't know that if that it affects their bottom line significantly um, unless it's a hit. Maybe uh, it it remains to be seen. I agree with Phil's point. Divorce from quality, uh, especially because this is something that hasn't come out yet. Um, this book has the feeling like it matters more. 
than your average event. It, it comes across as something that's not just, hey, we need a yearly event. What are we teeing up now? Um, flat, it, it's Flashpoint level in the sense that everybody knew that Flashpoint was going to change the way that DC published books and it was going to alter the characters on a fundamental level going forward. That's what this feels like. That's how they're talking about this. And so in that sense, the success or failure of Flashpoint mattered. And I think, to me, the success of Doomsday Clock matters in that same vein, especially when you tack on the Watchmen factor because of the negative buzz surrounding the fact that they are including Watchmen characters in this book. And I think, you know, that the fact that before Watchmen came out and was received the way it was plays into this. But of course, this is all just, you know, idle talk and speculation. And it's up to the people, not even up to DC, to be honest with you, because the quality of the book is going to be what it is. That's on Johns and Frank. It's up to the people to decide whether this is a success by buying it or not buying it. That's ultimately what it comes down to. Buying it or not buying it and how they talk about this book and the narrative of the people who talk about this on message boards all over the place and people like us who do podcasts. So I want to end this with a question. Will you guys buy Doomsday Clock number 1 through 12? Maybe not 1 through 12, but I'll buy the first one. Yeah, same here. I'm not going to commit to something if I'm not interested in it. You know, it's like I'm interested by the promise of what Jeff is talking about, but the proof's in the pudding. You know, if I read the first issue and I enjoy it, I'll keep reading it. If I read the first issue and it doesn't grab me, I'll probably wait and see what you think. Phil? Yeah, I'm buying all 12. I'm not a, I'm not a monthly or a weekly reader. Uh, the only book I'm, I'm pulling now is um, Mr. Miracle by Mr. King. What up, TK? Um, and Mitch. But, no, this one's really intriguing to me. I'm definitely going to buy it on an on a issue-to-issue basis because um, I, I appreciate the magnitude. I appreciate the talent. I want to see what they do. Well, there you have it. Um, four out of the five comics pals are committed to at least buying the first issue. We don't know about the fifth one. Yeah, that's a whole other can of worms. Um, But he doesn't live in America anymore, so it doesn't matter, right? Yeah, the only things that happen around are in America, right? (laughs) And this is where God pays attention. Uh, I can't even (laughs) joke. Uh, So stay tuned for that. Again, the book does drop. Um, on in, in November, more specifically, I believe it drops on November 22nd, uh, 21st, Tuesday, November 21st, because uh, they're releasing it at 11.57 on November 21st, which, nice. of course, is very <laughs> significant um, to the Watchmen comic, because, of course, it's releasing at, at three minutes before midnight, or, you know, three minutes before midnight as uh, the Doomsday Clock uh, that's the position of the Doomsday Clock. So I'm sh- I'm sure your LCS really appreciates that. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, so if you decide I mean, you want to, I do. Yeah, I think I think I think DC is doing their best to make this something that will succeed on a financial level, at least for the very first one. And so if you're interested, go out and support it. Um, I will do my best to make an 1157. Uh, release because I am that rabid for this book. Um, but I wish Jeff and, and, and Gary well. 
I wish DC well with this. I hope it's good. I hope people give it a chance because this is this can only be good for comics if it is ultimately a good book. Uh, and maybe, just maybe, this will change the hearts and minds of people who feel like Watchmen should be left alone. Hold the phone here, Sean. I'm Alan Moore. Let me chant an incantation to prevent you from buying this fucking book. No one will buy this book now. Back to you, Sean. All right, shitty Alan Moore. Uh, it remains to be seen whether or not you are right or wrong. And I'm interested. Wait, I think in- it. I think it worked. I don't like superheroes anymore. I'm not buying this book. <laughs> oh, wait. When did you like superheroes, Marco? That's fair. Yeah, thank you. Uh, so, write in and let us know whether or not you are willing to buy Doomsday Clock and whether or not you think DC should just leave the Watchmen alone altogether. You can do so by reaching out to us on iTunes. While you're there, drop us a rating. Uh, and then, of course, all other podcast hosting platforms or where you can find the show. You can hit us up wherever your social media is sold. We are at the Comics Pals where you can talk to us about Doomsday Clock or the success of Wonder Woman or uh, anything else that we talked about on this or any other episode of the Comics Pals. You can write to us at thecomicspals at gmail.com where we will happily accept your email and read it on the show if we think that what you said makes sense. Uh, and if it doesn't, we probably will ignore you. Um, that's not true, because uh, we're desperate for people to talk to us. No, we'll probably read it anyway. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then, of course, we're on YouTube, where there's lots and lots of stuff that you should be checking out. Uh, Pete's going to speak to this a little more uh, when I pass him the baton. However, I do want to talk about our Let's Plays, which are just releasing, um, which, of course, Pete is heading up with our man Thompson. They're awesome. Do check them out. Pete will sell you more on those in a little bit. Um, but we've got our History of the Defenders video and more stuff like that coming down the pipe. So if you haven't jumped on that bandwagon yet, definitely do and subscribe to the channel to make sure you keep up to date with everything that the Comics Pals are doing on YouTube. Uh, so with that out of the way, Pete, let's start with the plugs. Cool. Uh, so like Sean T's at the top, uh, you can check out um, some of our other shows. We've got some cool video game centric content. We've got the video game pals, which posts tomorrow on your platform of choice. Um, you know, if you're watching this, the day it went up anyway. And then, uh, like he said, we've got Pals Play, which is our new daily Let's Play series where me and Thompson are playing video games Monday through Friday for your amusement. Uh, so we've been working really hard on this all summer. So please come check it out. Let us know what you think. Let us know what games you'd like to see us play um, and what other content you'd like to see us try out. We're always dick game to try something new. Um, and then if you want to get at me, you can find me at loud underscore Pete on uh, Twitter and Instagram and come talk to me about comics, games, politics, uh, wrestling. Wrestling. <laughs> Just kidding. I don't watch wrestling, but I'll definitely pretend. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, Marco. You can find me on Instagram at woe is Marco and on Twitter at woe is Marco underscore. Um, come talk to me about some indie stuff like the um what was it grave tracers transfers oh, oh my God. title oh oh i'm cutting that out don't you gotta keep that in okay um uh, yeah oh boy <laughs> and uh also don't forget to follow kale he is uh toto in to that's t-o-t-o t-o-t-o-t-o t-o-t-o t-o-t-o 
<laughs> Did Sean die? Yeah, I think you killed him. Oh, oh go ahead, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So you can always find me. Shut up for a second, mortal. <laughs> I, Alan Moore, have to plug my newest zine in the Alistair Crowley zine about sigils. If you read it, Doomsday Clock will never come out. Old man Stan, over to you. <laughs> no, I chose to ignore oh, him. Cool. That was a very like good no sell because you didn't even look like you heard what he said. That was excellent. Uh, so okay, um, thank you, uh, shitty Alan Moore. Uh, Phil, where can we find you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Cyborg Bebop. And there you can, you know, just reaffirm that I'm your favorite pal, which I already know. Not true. Uh, so you can find me on Twitter only <laughs> at Sean Soapbox. Let's talk about Jean Grey because that's. And pirates. No. Jean Grey is a pirate. <laughs> no. That's a horrible idea, dude. Why the hell would you put that out there? Hi, Sean. This is Pirate Jean Grey. Stop. team members. Okay. Uh, with that, we are the Comics Kyle signing off. Take care, guys. Never do a Jean Grey impression. <laughs>